morning. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 19, and uh, I'm going to be known probably as the chapter finisher because that's what I tend to do is finish out the chapter. So uh, we're going to be in uh, 13 through 30. A couple of different, a uh, little different passages here that um, when you look at them as a whole, actually, sometimes we look at this and it's kind of like little snippets almost, but when you look at it in the whole, it all really ties together well. I'm going to read through first and uh, then we'll ask God to bless his word. Brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked Little children, come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, thank you, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just, uh, we just come to you, and as we study your word today, Father, help us to uh, engrave it on our hearts. Lord, help us to hear the words that you would, uh, that you would have us hear. And uh, Lord, I just uh, pray that uh, it's uh, nothing of me in this, Lord, but it's all you. Just uh, let your word, word pour through me, Lord. I just uh, lift this body up and just pray, Lord, that we would just be receptive. I just pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm not trying to look scholarly, but last time I did the glasses off and on thing, and I kept losing this. So I think if I just because if I look like this, you're all real fuzzy. But I can see if I so I'm, I'm looking over my glasses. So. So. When we looked at the first verses there, 13 through 15, um, Jesus is blessing the children, and, and the, 
Laying on the hands was a traditional manner of blessing in Israel. Um, So here we have again the disciples trying to keep the children away, viewing them as an annoying distraction. And uh, Luke even points out in these parallel verses that they were bringing babies, infants, for him to bless. So typically in in Israel in those times, children were kind of held in low esteem because um, they weren't old enough to really work and be productive. So they were kind of a nuisance, kind of a necessary nuisance, but we needed to raise them up so they could work. So that was kind of the context of what that was, is, is the disciples are saying, you know, Jesus, you've got bigger things to do. You know, you need to be sharing your word with these people. You need to be doing these miracles and, and you know, working on God's kingdom here and, you know, what good's it do to bless a little baby? I mean, this baby can't really do anything for us. Baby can't go share the gospel. So, you know, Jesus, he, he, he rebukes them there and he says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying in, in his message is really clear back in 18 that we just looked at. You have to have faith and trust like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, think, think about how much your children as parents trust you. Um, you know, they depend on you. They, you look to them, you know, they look to you for everything that they have. So that's what Jesus is saying. We have to be like those little children. We have to look to him for everything that we have couple of verses uh you don't need to turn to them but uh if you were in home teams we went through the three books first second and third john there's a lot of uh in john's letters and and paul also addresses this as well but first john 2 28 says and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father's given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So looking at those verses, he's not addressing kids. He's addressing adults. He's addressing fellow believers. And um, we even had that discussion on First John 2.28. When he's addressing them as little children, is that kind of a put-down or, you know... You know, kind of saying, well, you know, you guys are like a bunch of little children. No, it's a, it's a term of endearment that John is using here because he knows that we have to be those little children before God. So to this actually, and I'll circle back around, this does actually tie into what comes next. It says, uh, Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what must good must Good deed must I do to have eternal life. So we always have this, uh, even says in here in my Bible, that the heading is the rich young man or the rich young ruler. Luke 18, 18 talks about that. He says uh, a rich young ruler. And it says in the studies that I did, it looks to be that this guy could have been a religious lay leader or he was possibly a young Pharisee because of his answers to Jesus about keeping the law. He addresses te- uh, Jesus' teacher, and in uh, Mark ten seventeen, he addresses him as good teacher, which kind of explains Jesus' answer about what do you, why are you talking about what's good. 
and it's a sign of respect. And his question, what must good deed must I do to have eternal life, is really works-based. And he seems to understand, though, that he lacks something, so he's asking the question. He's coming to Jesus. Notice in here, Jesus doesn't ask him about keeping all the commandments. He points out the ones that are more horizontal, personal, with others, along with the second greatest commandment. If you look at Matthew 22, turn over there. I'm not. Uh, I'm getting ahead in whoever's going to be in Matthew 22, but and uh, so Matthew 22:34 through 39. Um, just prior to that. The Sadducees come up to, Je- to Jesus and ask him about the resurrection. They're trying, th- there's a series of questions going on here that they're trying to tr- trip him up and, uh, they're asking him these tough questions. So they ask about the resurrection and about marriage. So, you know, if this resurrection thing's going on, then what if a man's been married more than once? Which wife's he going to be with? And so Jesus shuts him up pretty quick on, on that. Then it goes into the great commandment. But then when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments... Depend all the law and the prophets. So if you look back to where we're at, the young man claims to have kept them all, maybe even implying he's kept all of the commandments. Um, But Jesus points out to him where he falls short on all accounts. So he uses the law to point out the fact that he's not keeping the law. Jesus asked him, he says, uh, if you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess. If you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So Jesus asked him to sell everything, give it to the poor, come follow me. So his wealth had become his identity, his power, and his meaning in life, and his idol. And Jesus' aim was to turn his focus from externally following the law to examining his heart to see what his true God was. So if you look at these, Jesus says, you shall not commit murder, don't commit adultery. What's Jesus say in Scripture about Murder and adultery. If I've committed it in my heart, I've, I've broken that law. I don't have to go out and actually kill someone, but I'm, if I have those thoughts, Jesus says it's the same thing. Honor your father and mother. And the last, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this is where he hits to the heart of the matter with this guy right here. If I love my neighbor as myself, then I can't not serve my neighbor if i love god with all my heart mind and soul then i can't cling to those things that separate me from god 
That's where he's at. As a devout young Jew, the young man had undoubtedly given alms to the poor, and that was a pious duty for followers of the law. But Jesus asked him to go all in for him, give it away. So he goes away in sorrow because what Jesus is asking, he simply can't do. He hasn't truly kept the commandments in his heart, especially the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus doesn't ask us sometimes to to follow an easy path with him. Um, So Jesus sees the heart in all of us. He sees the heart in Scripture when he deals with these people, and he knows where they're at, and he knows this guy's... He's going to cling to his money. That's his God. That's the thing that he's asking him to give up. And if you look through Scripture, you'll see several instances. I didn't pick them all out. But Jesus knows exactly the question to ask to to reveal to us where we fall short and where we are not keeping the commandments. And these commandments are, you know, these are relational commandments to love your neighbor. I hadn't really thought about that, you know, and to, I mean, I really kind of been stuck with this a while because uh, uh, Ligon Duncan did a really nice sermon presentation on the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And it pointed out to me just how important that is, especially among believers, that that we are all in with Jesus and loving our neighbor as ourselves because if if we can't demonstrate Christ's love to especially to other believers, then we're no different than the world. And the world looks to us all the time to see how we react to those around us, uh, to situations. Um, you know, it's like Larry said, I've been on missions too, and I was in Pascagoula, and, you know, just to be the face, to try to reflect Christ in the things that we do to our neighbor. Uh, is so, so important. So if we want to follow Jesus, then loving our neighbor as ourselves means demonstrating that unconditional, sacrificial love that he has shown to us, to those around us. To live in harmony as the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, it covers how we are to relationally live with each other. Let's take a look at that. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 7 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So these are instructions for believers. This is how we are to live as believers with one another. Now, that's not always easy. You know, if, if we all agreed on everything all the time, and, you know, it, it would probably be, be a boring body if, if that was the case. But when it comes down to it, it's loving one another, the bearing with one another. That means, you know, when, when things are hard, 
we continue to bear with one another and lift each other up to to serve one another. And that's our that's our instructions as believers. If we do that, then the the non-believer looks at us and says, "They have something that that I want to I want to know more about this. I want to be a part of this." And we reach them with the gospel through our actions more than we do with our words, I believe. You know, when when we go out and we share the gospel with someone and they look at us and they say, well, I see how those guys get along and that's that's really not going to draw me in. Why would I want to be a part of that? But if they look and they see the love and the unity and the, the spirit of peace in a church, then they say they got something going on there. There's There's something there. And then you share the gospel with them and they understand that it's Christ. So if we, uh, we should reflect him in everything we do. And oftentimes if we turn the mirror on ourselves, it's easy to get onto this guy. You know, I mean, Jesus asked him to do this. Why didn't he do it? But if we turn the mirror on ourselves, we're going to find a lot of times we're not a lot different than that rich young man in so many ways. Because they're, we're, we have those things that we cling to. And as they're watching the young man walk away, Jesus ex- explains to the disciples how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So with wealth and possessions, we tend to see ourselves as self-sufficient, don't we? And I think wealth is kind of a relative term. Um, go to some third world countries and we'll see how, you see how rich all of us are. But we, we, we tend to be self-sufficient. I've got it. I've got enough to pay for it, or I've got it covered. You know, God, if, if I need you, I'll call on you. You know, just kind of stay over there. We want to, we want to hold on control of the reins. Generally, the attributes of a rich person are just the opposite of those of the child. Just, just remember how, you know, the, I said, you know, the child has to, to depend on the parent or the caregiver to take care of them, um, to provide their needs. So then we get, you know, we get a good job and we're, we're making some money and, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm, I'm taking care of this myself. So we have to be careful that, that we continue to remember what Jesus said, we need to be like a child to come to him. So then he talks about um, just how hard it was for a rich person to get into heaven. Not that they can't, like any of us. But Jesus paints a picture of an impossible situation when he compares the rich person getting into heaven is as easy as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, a little aside on that, uh, some people, and I've heard it preached, I think even in this church, and I, I don't even know who preached it, but that the eye of a needle was a narrow gate in Jerusalem and that the camel to get through the eye of this needle in this narrow gate had to take off all its baggage, get down on its knees, and squeeze through. So um, there's a couple of words translated from Hebrew into Greek. Uh, some say the word camel or camelos in Greek is actually the word kamelos or rope from Hebrew. Okay, so there's no basis for the gate theory in Scripture. It doesn't say that there's a, a, a gate in the Jerusalem wall called the Eye of the Needle. Um, 
There's no archaeological evidence. There's no evidence. There were some narrow gates in the wall, but there was no evidence that they even existed in Jesus' time. So when you look at that, if it's camel or rope through the eye of a needle, it doesn't change what Jesus said. So we have to understand what Jesus is saying, whether you're trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle or a big rope through the eye of a needle. Neither one of them are going to go through there. But if we, if we say it was a narrow gate, you know, if I throw off all my baggage and I get down on my knees and I squeeze my way through, I can squeeze my way into heaven. Now, who did that? Christ didn't do that. I did that. But listen to what the disciples said. He says, uh, when the disciples heard this, verse 25, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? I think their answer to what he said points to the fact that he's pointing to an impossible situation. Not some camel getting down and squeezing through a narrow gate. It's actually trying to shove through the eye of a sewing needle. So I think we have to look at that in in light of Scripture when we look at those camelos or camelos. But it doesn't point out that it's a narrow gate. It points out that Jesus is saying it's impossible. We just want to make it easier, don't we? We want to make it easy to get into heaven. We, we, you know, I can, I can do stuff. I mean, I'm a good guy, but that's not what Jesus says. It's impossible. So one reason they were astonished is he's talking about a rich guy getting into heaven, how hard it is. Because for the Jews all through history, if you had financial wealth, you were in God's favor. God favored those by giving them, you know, people by giving them wealth. So Jesus is kind of flipping things again. He flips things over on them here. But he points out the futility of trying to work our way to heaven and earn it somehow. Salvation comes through God and God alone. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Then Jesus points out, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Once again, kind of kills the gate theory, doesn't it? Because I can't squeeze my way into heaven. God's got to, God's got to take me. I'm, I have to have my faith in Jesus Christ. Can't work my way. I was created to do good works, but those good works are not what saves me. That's not what saves any of us. So then look what happens next. Good old Peter. Peter says, well, what's in it for us? So Jesus says, Peter says, well, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you'll have, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Now, if you uh, do a little study on the twelve, wait a minute, how many disciples were there after Jesus was betrayed? Uh, what happened to Judas? Uh, but they picked another, didn't they? Matthias. So that's correct. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother 
or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So Jesus details their reward, but he's kind of got a mild rebuke at the end of it going into chapter 20. In verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So he's, he's kind of saying, don't get too high and mighty here, buddy. And, you know, think about how they all ended up. <laughs> Most of the disciples ended up. You know they're going to suffer and they're going to go through some stuff, but um, they have to they have to have the humility of Jesus, put others first and be last. So, are you ready to fully commit to God, or are you still trying to thread your camel through the eye of a needle? You tell, or are you trying to squeeze through a gate somewhere? It's not going to happen. So what's the thing that you're holding on to that Jesus is asking you to give away? What's your idol? Is it your possessions? Um, Kathy and I have been downsizing, and it's mostly me because I'm a collector, but she says I'm not. I'm actually a hoarder. So <laughs> so loads and loads and loads of stuff are going away. And you know, there was a time in my life when those things were important to me, and I've gotten to the point now it's like, yeah, let's see, I'm this old, I need, I don't need six of these, maybe one, but, so I'm, I'm starting to say, see that my possessions are not nearly as important as my relationship with Christ. Is it your time? You know, we, we covet our time so much, you know, we don't have time for this, we don't have time for that, you know, what, what is that time being spent on? Is it being spent on, Things that glorify God and further the kingdom, or is it selfish stuff? Um, I don't have time for that. You know, the ball game's on in a half hour. That's probably not a good excuse in Christ's eyes. What about anger? Do we have anger in our heart? Is God asking us to give that away? James 1, 19 and 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So we talked about in Matthew 18 how to deal with conflict with a, f- a fellow believer. If that's in your heart, do it. Do it. Reach out to each other. You know, it's um, one of the things I used to do when someone was talking was tend to have my answer formulating while they're talking. That means I'm not listening. And someone brought that up in a, wasn't direct, directly at me, but it hit me. Are you listening or are you just waiting to answer? So quick to listen, listen to each other. Slow to speak. Consider your words when you speak to one another. Um, that's another one that I had trouble with. I used to, I used to really kind of be <clears throat> kind of be proud of my Irish heritage because, man, you know I can put the hammer back on somebody pretty quick. That's really not what it's about. Um, slow to anger, slow to speak. So if we're going to glorify God, if we're going to reflect Christ in what we do, then we have to start living that. We have to start living this out. 
And it's not easy. It's hard. It is hard. Relationships are hard within our family, within our church, outside the church, at work, wherever it's at, relationships are hard. But God has called us to be like these little children and put our, our, uh, our anger aside, to put our pride aside to do these things. So to close, um, most of you that know me know I love history, uh, always have. I was a weird guy in high school that thought history was one of the better classes. Um, you know, hope, hopefully some of you still like history as well. This is, this is our history here. This, the, God's Word is our history. It's, it's, not, it's, it's the Word of God, but it's also where we were, where we're at, you know, where we came from. So I have read a lot of stories about people who held on to their stuff, their things, even to the point of death. And uh, some are in here in the Bible. Some outside American history, world history, you name it. But there are so many people that couldn't turn loose. Um, but it's all the stuff that moth and rust destroys. And, and Jesus said, you know, don't put your faith in the things that moth and rust destroy. Lay your treasures in heaven. One of the things that um, in family history, we had some some captains out on the Oregon Trail. And uh, whatever happened to them, we never found out. So I don't know whether they died along the trail or they, they went out west and did good, whatever. But um, in westward expansion, people got into their, their uh, covered wagons, their prairie schooners. There were some a little bigger than others. But all their prized possessions went in there, and they left a lot of them out of St. Joe and, and headed out across the Oregon Trail. And uh, successive groups that went out saw more and more and more stuff along the sides of the trail. Now, if you've seen most covered wagons, there's not a lot of room. So might be a cast-iron cook stove. The family piano, all these things, the beds, <laughs> all these things were tossed out. Maybe, maybe they had a two-horse team and one horse died. Can't pull all that stuff, so it went out. So all those prized possessions just became excess baggage at the end as they went along. The things that they clung to, the things that were so important to them, were just excess baggage. At the end of our lives, it's all excess baggage. All of it. We can't take it with us. All we have is Christ. The only thing that matters is Christ. When it comes to the end of our days, the possessions we have, the things we've worked so hard for, they won't get us into heaven. We can't take them with us. All we have is Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just, I just pray, Lord, that you would help me in my heart to get rid of the excess baggage that I carry around. Lord, I just want to be devoted to you. Just make me like a little child, Lord, that I just depend on you for, for everything. And, um, that I don't try to do it on my own. I pray that for, for those that are believers, Lord, and for this church and, uh, Father, you have blessed us so much. Just the fact that you sent your son to die for us, that we wouldn't 
that we wouldn't die in our sins, Lord, that we would be raised with you in the last days, that we glorify and honor you in everything that we do. And Father, those that may be here that are hearing your call, uh, Father, I just pray for them. I just pray, Lord, that they uh, would just receive you as Lord and Savior in their lives. And Father, I just pray for those that do come to you, whether today or whenever it is, Lord, that that we would, as a body of believers, to be there to disciple them, Lord, and to help them grow and mature in you. I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.